This is the Intego Mac Podcast. In this episode, there's some new malware out there, and we'll tell you what you need to know to protect the data on your computer and mobile devices. Plus, we'll have some details on Apple's new file system, APFS. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? Good morning, Kirk. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. There's a lot of news this week about Mac malware, and it's really surprising. We we go in ups and downs. We go for periods when it's relatively calm, and then all of a sudden, a number of new types of malware come and attack us. One of them actually is not just for the Mac. It also affects the iPhone and iPad. And if I understand correctly, pretty much every device that connects to Wi-Fi. Is that, is that right? This malware that's called Crack? Well, yeah. So Crack, crack is, uh, is the name of a vulnerability and, and it, it affects pretty much everything that uses Wi-Fi. And it's not that there's a particular malware that can, can necessarily infect all these devices. What, what it is, is it's really a vulnerability in the way that wife, the Wi-Fi protocol is implemented, the WPA2 protocol, um, which is generally considered to be the most secure way to do Wi-Fi. The, the way that it's implemented it makes it possible for an attacker basically to eavesdrop on everything that you're doing on your wireless network. Everything. Everything. They can know what I'm streaming on Netflix. They can know what I'm typing and they can know what music I'm listening to. In theory. Yeah. You said something important there. In theory. I'd like you to explain to listeners exactly what we mean when we use the word vulnerability. A vulnerability is when there's a product or service hardware or software that has a problem that can be exploited. Maybe it's a way that um, a protocol was implemented or a way that the hardware was designed that doesn't function maybe quite according to the standard. Um, In some cases, it does technically comply with the standard, but the way that it was implemented allows for an attacker to be able to exploit a certain way that something might be implemented. So in this case, CRACK actually is is sort of an acronym. It's, it stands for Key Reinstallation Attack. And to boil it down, what's going on here is that if somebody is one, and this is the really important key, they have to be in range of your wireless network. So this is not something like uh, many of the vulnerabilities in the past that everybody was really upset about um, where it could be exploited by anybody anywhere on the internet who has, who can somehow get access to your system. This is a local wireless vulnerability. So they have to be able to see your Wi-Fi network from where they are. um, They being the attackers. So it's not something that's very likely to affect most end users where you would more likely see an attack like this exploited would be someplace where you have um, high, if you're a high value target, let's say you work for the U S government and maybe somebody is spying on you to see if maybe you'll 
reveal some information unintentionally just because you have a weak wireless network and they can connect to you. And um, they can potentially eavesdrop on, on everything that you do on your wireless network. So if I understand correctly, since I live on the edge of a farm, I don't really have to worry too much about this. But if you live in, let's say, an apartment building in Manhattan and there are 300 Wi-Fi networks, you might be more concerned that one of the people behind one of the 300 Wi-Fi networks is spending their days trying to get into other networks. Or let's say you're a business and you work on, we're going to just pick Fifth Avenue and 57th Street. Okay, nice location. I think there might be a Starbucks nearby and the Starbucks on the ground floor might be within range of that business's Wi-Fi network. Is that where the danger could come from? Potentially, yeah. It, it Specifically, this is something where somebody would have to be targeting you or targeting everybody on your network. So this crack attack is mostly an attack on individual users of a wireless network. There's kind of a lot of... Um, confusion about the crack attack out there. One of the things that, that some of our listeners may have, may have heard or read is that there are updates available for some wireless access points and things like that. Um, this is primarily a client side attack. So what, what we will see soon is Apple releasing a patch for Mac OS, um, for iOS and, uh, and other uh, devices that more fully protects Apple devices from being vulnerable to 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 this key reinstallation attack. I believe Apple already said that the fixes are in the latest beta versions of macOS and iOS. That's correct. Yes. So and and there's a quote from from Apple that they gave to TechCrunch. They said Apple is deeply committed to protecting our customers' data. The fix for the crack Wi-Fi vulnerability is currently in the betas of. And they list iOS, macOS, watchOS, and tvOS, and will soon be rolled out to customers. So all of those devices are potentially affected by this vulnerability. Um, does that mean that consumers need to be scared that something is going to happen? Well, what are you really doing on your Apple TV that you need to worry that much about? Probably not too much. If, you, if you're con really concerned about this vulnerability... What, what I've seen some people suggest is the, for the ultra paranoid, if you don't want to connect to any Wi-Fi networks and you just want to run on your Verizon, AT&T, whatever your, your local carrier is, to run on your carrier network and, and just leave Wi-Fi off until this patch comes out. Right. So if you can connect your computer via Ethernet, then you'd be safer. Yep. Ethernet, or if you have a device that can work on a, on a mobile a carrier network, um, that that would also protect you from this attack as well. Right. So your phone, when it's connected to cellular, there's no threats. It's really just Wi-Fi. Right, right. Yeah. And there's another important point that I want to make here. And that's if you do have a Wi-Fi network, like at, at your home or, or at a small business or something like that. Like you, everyone does. <laughs> which everyone does pretty much. Yeah. If you, if you have a Wi-Fi network, you should be using WPA2. That's something that's really important to realize here, because a lot of people are probably going to see this and go, oh, WPA2 protocol. Oh, yeah, I think I have that on my router. I'm going to change to WEP because I see that as an option. Do not change to WEP. That would be a bad idea. Let's give a quick explanation. So these are the protocols that are used for encrypting the password that you use to connect to your Wi-Fi router. Is that right? 
Correct. Yeah. WEP stands for, and this is really terribly ironic, but it's, it stands for wired equivalent privacy. And it's so far from being equivalent to wired privacy. WEP is so badly broken that literally an attacker can get onto your network in a minute or less. And this has been the case for several years, right? Yeah, this is nothing new. So it's unfortunate that wireless access point vendors are still building WEP into their products. It's mostly just because of compliance reasons. They're trying to comply with the Wi-Fi standard. And so therefore they're still leaving in this terribly, terribly broken and vulnerable protocol. So do use WPA2. That, that is important. Um, but make sure that your client devices that may be affected by this are patched. Now, Android was much, much more badly affected by this vulnerability. There are actually ways that an attacker can can do a lot worse things. And we won't get into Android on this show. But if you have an Android device, you definitely, definitely want to make sure that you are updating that device as well. And basically, any client type device that you have that can connect to a Wi-Fi network check with your vendor to see if there are updates available. If there are not yet updates available, ask your vendor, bug them, do whatever you can to make sure that they know that this is a problem and it needs to be fixed. Okay, so the Proton malware is back. And this first appeared in May when an app called Handbrake, which people use to convert video files, got compromised and downloads were infected with this malware. And it seems to have come back embedded in a different app this time. Yeah, what's really interesting about this is that security aware people will typically tell you that when you're downloading software from the internet to go to a trusted app store, for example, the Mac app store, or to go to the source. The developer's website. Exactly. In this case, and in the case of Handbrake um, back in May, when a user would go to this developer site, and this developer is called Eltima, and they make a product called El Media Player. Uh, um, that's E-L media is how it's spelled. And if, if they were to download L media player during a particular very small window of time when their download server was compromised, then the user would end up with a trojanized version of the application. So what that means is that they would get the software, but they, when they run the software, it would also install malware on their computer. So let's just quickly define a Trojan horse. It's a type of application that carries malware. And it goes back to the story in Homer's Odyssey, where the Trojans gave the Greeks a horse as a gift. And the Greeks, of course, hadn't heard the news that they shouldn't open attachments. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think it would be important for us to discuss what this malware can do. Yes. So if you happen to download El Media Player while an infected version was available from the distribution website... It's it's command and control software. So essentially what that means is that this malware puts a backdoor into your computer for an attacker to be able to do things like copy your files, to search through your, your, your files, to phone home to their servers, um, to create a secure tunnel between your infected computer and the, and a system that they control to upload files from your computer to to them and so forth. And it can turn your Mac into part of a botnet. Right. Which which basically means they can do whatever they want to w with your device. They can use your device to attack 
a particular web server, say, that they don't like. Um, maybe the attackers really don't like you know, apple.com. And so they use, you know, thousands of infected machines like yours to all try to attack apple.com at once. They probably won't be very successful with apple.com, but that that's an example of the kind of things that an attacker could potentially do if, if your device is part of a botnet. And they can also use your device to send out spam, to store pornographic images, for instance, that people don't want to get caught with, they can use it to mine Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. And that's a really interesting point about holding something of yours for ransom. And and you gave the example of pornography and, and they actually could do that if they if they're taking files off of your system. You may have some very compromising files on your on your system. And if you do, then that certainly does make it possible for them to you know, to extort you, to try to get you to pay a ransom so that they won't release it. And of course, there's nothing that really is going to prevent them from releasing it. So there's so many different things that if you if your machine gets infected with this type of malware, it's game over. So I think it's safe to say that if you have Intego Virus Barrier installed and you've got your malware definitions up to date, you'll be protected from this. Virus Barrier will detect it. It'll eradicate it. If you don't have Intego Virus Barrier installed and install it later, it can delete the malware, but it may not be able to delete other apps that the hackers may have installed on your computer. Is that correct? That That's correct. Yeah, it's, it's theoretically possible that somebody who had control of your computer through this, this malware may have also put something else, potentially even something brand new, on your machine that no antivirus product detects yet. So... It is important to make sure that you keep your antivirus installed and up to date, and that will definitely help protect your computer from things like this happening in the future. Or they could also potentially have set up an account for themselves that the user might not see to give them remote access through file sharing, right? Exactly. So if, if the malware gets installed, basically if you don't have antivirus software on your computer and the malware gets installed, it's game over you may as well back up your individual files and start completely from scratch. Okay. Because there's no way to really know for sure whether an attacker still has something in your system. Yeah. Now, Mac OS has a system called Gatekeeper that's supposed to detect malware. Why didn't Gatekeeper stop this? Well, there's there's kind of a couple of reasons for that. So Gatekeeper, and sometimes if, if you're reading the Mac security blog, you might see us call it um, XProtect. Um, this is functionality that's been built into macOS since the, the last version of Lion, uh, which was macOS 10.7, all the way through the current version of macOS. And essentially what it is, it's, it, it would be better described as a bad download blocker. But the way that, that this works is it's reactionary. And it sometimes takes Apple a really long time to put signatures for recently discovered malware into XProtect or into this this bad download blocker functionality that's built into macOS. So it's it would not be accurate to really describe that feature as a, a true antivirus feature. It really just protects you against things that have already been out there for a while and may still be out there. Like Flash Player. Well, yeah, so there's there's a lot of <laughs> compromised versions of Flash Player. And if you happen to download one that 
Apple knows about that's been out there for a while, then potentially it might help prevent you from installing that malware. But it doesn't, it's not really a true antivirus feature, and it takes much, much longer for Apple to update those signatures than it does for an antivirus company that stays on top of it, that that's what they do. <laughs> I mean, that's what they, what, that's where their focus is, is making sure that they're protecting their customers. Apple, that's kind of secondary. Josh and Kirk will talk about the advantages of Apple's new APFS file system coming up on the Intego Mac podcast in just about a minute. Here's some good news. Intego security and utility software is ready for macOS High Sierra, so you can continue to get complete Intego protection and security when you upgrade to the latest Mac operating system. But here's some even better news. Because you're a listener of the Intego Mac podcast, you can take 50% off Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today and then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. And remember, all Intego products are updated for compatibility with the latest Mac operating system, High Sierra. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So with macOS High Sierra, Apple made a big change to the file system. And the file system is the part of the operating system that sits on a disk, like a hard drive or an SSD, and it acts as the catalog. It controls where files are written and how they're read and how they're copied and how they're deleted. Apple has been using the HFS Plus file system and its predecessor HFS for over 30 years. And the new file system is called APFS or Apple file system. Now, this is actually a big deal for some people, but most of us will never notice this at all. In fact, if you've got an iPhone, you're already using APFS because Apple updated all iOS devices to APFS with iOS 10. But how does this affect us running Macs? Josh, you've looked into this. Yeah, APFS is is kind of interesting because Apple has been kind of toying with the idea of switching to a new file system for a while. There um, Years ago, there were rumors that Apple was considering switching to ZFS, which is a, um, another modern, more modern file system. Essentially, and, and this is all very technical stuff, really, but HFS Plus uh, is, is the name of the file system that Apple has been using for a very long time back back in the Mac OS nine days and even before that they were already using HFS plus so this is a file system that has been around for a very very long time it's actually more than thirty years old including its predecessor HFS so it's it's been around a long time it's 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 getting old and Apple needed to put out something that especially something that works better with SSDs, flash storage, which most Macs and really most devices these days have solid state um, or flash storage. That that means as opposed to a spinning hard disk. So 
traditionally computers had a hard drive with actual spinning platters that physically moved around in circles. I've got some news for you, Josh. Traditionally, computers had punch cards or tapes or things <laughs> like that. So, yeah, it's it's definitely it's still an old technology, I guess, these spinning hard drives. Um, you do still find them um, typically in systems where people have needs for a greater amount of storage. Flash memory is still a little bit on the expensive side and spinning media uh, tends to be quite a bit cheaper. So you do still see non-solid state drives in in some modern systems, but the the world is definitely moving in that direction of of moving to solid state storage. And the difference here is that reads and writes, particularly to the catalog part of the disk, are much faster with solid state storage than they are with hard drives, correct? That's right. And so one of the things that I think is really important for, for users to realize is that when they upgrade to High Sierra, so if you haven't already upgraded, and you've got a system that, uh, that has flash storage, this new file system, APFS, it's going to be possible to have your drive converted to, to APFS. Now, if you still do have a spinning hard drive in your machine, you'll not even get prompted for for the upgrade at this point in time. Um, Apple's still putting the finishing touches on APFS for spinning drives, and so they will not prompt you to convert your drive from HFS Plus to APFS. And this is also the case for Fusion drives, which combine a spinning drive and flash storage. That's correct. So APFS has a lot of advantages for people who don't really care about the file system. It has better error correction, so when you're copying data from one drive to another, the operating system checks with what's called a checksum, sort of an addition of all the data to make sure that the data transfer is correct. And if it's not, it resends it. So the error correction system is better. It has a scheme that protects against data loss that might occur if your computer crashes or if your power goes off. Encryption is more robust and it's, it's more efficient. There's also this thing called snapshots, which means that the file system can take kind of like time machine backups, a snapshot of the catalog, not of the data in the files themselves, but where they are, where they begin and where they end on the disk. So if you do have a crash, you can revert back to a previous snapshot and the file system and the operating system will still be able to find your files. I know that gets a little bit complicated and and I'll link to an article on the Intego website. Uh, I talk about the file system as a way of organizing files, kind of like your books and your bookcases. If you move the books around from one bookcase to another, the file system remembers where the books are and doesn't lose track of them. Because you don't often lose files on a disk if you have a problem. What happens is you lose track of where they begin and end. The data is still there, and that's why there are utilities that can recover data. But the files themselves don't get lost. Right. And what, one one thing that's really important for users to understand is that this is something that happens transparently. It's not, it's not something that um, you're really going to notice in any obvious way on a day-to-day basis. You can, you'll still have your Macintosh HD if you choose to have that icon on your desktop. And you can still get to your files and folders just like you did before. And, and you can still copy data to and from your, your hard drive just like you could before. It's just that you now have these additional features and functionality that's built into your file system. It's transparent. It's in the background. But it's a good thing for, for end users. Just as an aside, you mentioned that Macintosh HD thing. And I find it funny because if you buy a new Mac today with an SSD, 
it still says Macintosh HD. Now, Apple hasn't used the Macintosh name for years. They've been using Mac and your computer may have an SSD, but they still call it HD. So a bit of nostalgia. Yeah. One, one other point I'd like to make is you do have the option to format external drives in APFS. So in my case, my iMac has a 256 gigabyte SSD, but I have lots of music and videos on an eight terabyte external drive. Now I could convert that to APFS if I want to. The problem is if I connect that drive to a Mac that's not running High Sierra, it won't be able to read it. So if you're using external drives, I strongly recommend that you don't make the conversion. Let High Sierra convert your startup SSD drives if your startup drive is a hard drive or a fusion drive, that will come. But don't go doing this to your external drives just yet. Good advice. Okay, malware, a new file system. Let's stay secure. See you next week, Josh. All right. Thanks, Kirk. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast with your hosts, Josh Long and Kirk McElhern. To get every episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Links to topics and information Josh and Kirk mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where you'll find details on the full line of award-winning Intego security and utility software, intego.com.